Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's <laughs> reading with you, thinking you're going to love her latest selection. Because you should. My books are amazing. Mm. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended. That's us. I know. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, inviting magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. I feel like I'm a broken record, but I'm going to say, <laughs> ugh. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. So boring. You can keep your elves in space operas. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked <laughs> up on her own. It's weird. People can't see your eyeballs, and so they don't understand the, like, death stare that I'm getting I right now. I think the emphasis that I just put on the word never. <laughs> the emphasis. Mm-hmm. Do you Might mean the include them emphasis? In. Sure. Uh, it depends okay. on where you put the the strain. The, the, str- the strain of this book <laughs> on your soul, apparently. <laughs> well, I guess even a book that isn't entirely your type may sometimes have some redeeming qualities to it. Right? <laughs> I think so. I, I'm willing to say yes. You pain but, me. You pain me. But even before you start yelling at me or I start yelling at you, <laughs> I believe we should do the spoiler because there is some weird stuff that goes down in this book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now is the time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including the ending and any magical twists. If you haven't read The House in the Cerulean Sea yet by T.J. Clune and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us after you have read it. Or maybe you are like the 0.2% of the population that I am guessing sides with Christine on this, and you decide that you aren't going to read it. There you go. Spoiler alert alerted. Thanks for the scientific portion of the the 0.2. I guess it's the, st- the statistical, not the scientific portion of the I podcast. I both passed statistics uh-huh. twice. Wow. I had to take it for my bachelor's and my master's. Wow. And... I feel like my data consumption on this mm-hmm. and regurgitation is accurate. Yes. You just confused me enough that I'm going to Okay. I read lots along. I read I read lots and lots of people's reviews of this book. Oh. Which is how I got to the 0.2% of people who air quote didn't like it. Okay, so I read one and she was like, "Why I stopped reading this book, but you shouldn't." <laughs> but you shouldn't. Yeah, she was huh. but so <laughs> Let's get into the book. Give us a give us a little synopsis here. So the book, The House on the Cerulean Sea, is um, it's an adult contemporary light fantasy. Okay. Is that accurate-ish? You have already answered a burning question of mine. Keep going, please. Okay. Wow. I, I feel very achieved right now. <laughs> Access unlocked. Um, and its protagonist is a man named Linus. Mm-hmm. He is a social worker. He's in his early 40s. And he works what in what appears to be, you know, like maybe England. I'm not sure. He's somewhere with a broad coastline. And he works for the department in charge of magical youth, Daikami. So you already know from the beginning that this is, you know, got a little bit of fantastical twist to it. Mm-hmm. And he's really good at his job. He is a by-the-book social worker. He goes into orphanages that house these children that don't have parents. He ensures that their their space is safe and that they're taken care of. And then he moves on Uh to the next place. And he's very committed. He is incredibly committed to his job Uh and the structures of government that support his job. Yep. And then he is told he's going to go to this island, Mars, yes, 
I don't think I'm actually saying that correctly. I only read it. And he is going to inspect this one orphanage that has six children and one caretaker. And all children there are extra magical. And the caretaker has a little something extra going on with himself, too. So that's kind of the, uh-huh. the main bulk of the book is set on this island as he is assessing whether or not this orphanage is an appropriate place for these kids. And the kids themselves are hilarious, so I can't understand why you hated this book. You you make me so sad sometimes. This book makes me happy. Like, I read this book in 2020 when it first came out at the recommendation of one of our colleagues, another librarian. Mm-hmm. It's been on bestseller list. Mm-hmm. It's won a ton of awards. And most of the reviews you read talk about how much heart the book has, that a huge part of this as you're reading it is, yes, there are there's a magicality to it. It's very clear that there sure. is. But the underlying themes of, like, foster children mm-hmm. totally track on, right, that um, – what Linus is finding as he's assessing these orphanages is that these children need homes. Right. And right. then in many cases, the orphanage is their home. Right. And the caretakers are their family, right. even if they're never going to have another one. Right. And that these kids deserve every opportunity to discover who they're going to be and what they're going to do without being degraded or having to suffer. Or And obviously that plays out in the book because they're magical. Mm-hmm. But the whole tenor of it really just rang true for me. I, I'm so... I'm... Tell me why you hated this book and why why you want to make me sad about it. <laughs> no, this is why the podcast is good because well, wow, I just said the podcast is good. <gasps> That's so weird. I'm the champion. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. I think I probably just caused feedback. My voice got so high because <laughs> I was so happy. I may be crying. You are. I am You're weeping. I, it's just it's a glorious day. <laughs> I never thought this day would come during the pandemic, okay, but so here we are. Thanks for listening. We're <laughs> we're done now. <laughs> Uh, No, because, again, I never would have read this. Mm. And after having read it, I've been puzzled by many things because I really wanted to like this book. Yeah. I really wanted to like this book. I picked this one because I thought you would. I know. So I, from the very beginning, I was confused. One of the things that really confused me is who the audience was. Oh, okay. Super confused me. And you know that I don't. I don't do the research before we read the books because I want to go in with an as open as my dumb little mind can be. And um, I couldn't figure out who this was written for because it's very repetitive and simplistic in many ways. Like the the characterization of all of the characters is, I think, weak. Like like his next door neighbor, she's just a mean, awful person. There's nothing redeeming about her. She is a trope that is meant to confirm conflict with his growth pattern. Okay. Yeah. So, and everybody he, every other person in the book is mm-hmm. like that. There are no redeeming, except for the conductor on the train. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a regular guy, although he seems to have, I mean, he's in it for like a nanosecond, yeah, so he's not there. significant. Yeah. Um, but all of his coworkers are- Awful. Horrible to him. His mm-hmm. boss is awful. Mm-hmm. The place he works is awful. There's nothing redeeming about anything except for this one little magical house, which mm-hmm. it's just it's too silly for me. And so <sighs> interesting. So to me, yeah, it feels too much like a fairy tale, and it's you get beat over the head with that. Yeah. Like he just keeps banging you over the head. Yeah. So to me, that felt like it was a children's book. And then we get into aspects of sexuality, mm-hmm. which were not intended. To my yeah. ear for children. Yeah. So, so then I was very confused about yeah. who it was for because it, it had conflicting 
styles, in my opinion. Um, okay. Now, having said conflicting styles, I really, really liked his um, use of the language. He sure. He's extremely... He seems like he was extremely thoughtful in every single word that he chose. Mm. Um, his language was very well – his ideas were very well conveyed. Mm. Um, not a lot – you know, my, my little grammar nerd self. <laughs> he, it was well written. It was really, very really well so. written. So I enjoyed that aspect of it a lot. And apparently I have not read any of his additional works. I'm on hold for another of his adult contemporary titles. But he was a poet as well. So he writes – Well, that makes sense. Right? So I want to go back to what you said about – all of the characters in, like, the quote-unquote real world being negative okay. or stereotypical mm-hmm. or not Shallow. Really, yeah, shallow. I agree. I absolutely agree. And for me, they're not the point of the story. Mm-hmm. They're, like, um, they're like the two minutes at the start of a movie where you get, like, that fast take of a background of a character okay. before they move into the actual plot line. Okay. They're meant to give you – they are all negative, and they're all negative because – his point of view at the start, Linus's viewpoint. He is he is not your typical protagonist for an adult book with a fantasy theme. He is overweight. Mm-hmm. He, I think he calls himself portly. Uh, He's kind of a dumpy guy. Dumpy, good word. Um, his hair is thinning. He has no friends. He's got this cat that like doesn't Lin- like him. Doesn't like him. Stole his pillow, but that he has <laughs> bought everything for. It's right. got like thousands of toys, and he fancifully named her Calliope. Sure, why not? Um, <laughs> But the picture that you have of him at the beginning of the story is this really sad person. Mm-hmm. And I po- Except he's not. Well, he kind he, of is. He's sad from our perspective. But he he's very pleased with his he's, lot in life. And he, mm-hmm. he's, he takes a lot of um, pride in doing a good job. And yeah. so I don't get that. That's part of my frustration, I think, okay. is that he has this pathetic life. Mm-hmm. But he seems like... A content little optimist. And that just... I don't think so. Okay. So I think that he is happy within the structure of his work because he knows how to do it. Okay. And he does it well. But I actually put a quote in here. Okay. Um, and this was from the first, like, dozen pages or so. Mm-hmm. So I was still reading. Yeah. If one were to ask if Linus Barker were lonely, he would have scrunched up his face in surprise. The thought would be foreign and almost shocking. And then the smallest of lies hurt his head and made his stomach twist there was a chance he would still say no, even though he was almost desperately so. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, at the start, you're building this baseline character of this man who is great at his job. And even though he is in this incredibly bureaucratic structure mm-hmm. of, like, foster care support, he finds a way to make it an impact. And he has value in that. But that's the only thing that he has going in his yeah. life. He has these horrible neighbors and these horrible bosses and this horrible co-workers and this cat that hates him. And that all gives you a good understanding so that when he lands in this foreign situation, you know more about why he is so desperate to be a part of something that has even like a glimmer of family and hope to it. Mm-hmm. And when he lands on this island, you know, the kids are all really weird mm-hmm. and some of them are tropes like there's like a little kid who's the antichrist and <laughs> or the son of the devil or whatever you want to call it right um and there's like a blob guy mm-hmm. he, i was trying to picture it in my head because some there's some illustrations too ah. um and it's like a snail without a shell okay yes and he wants to be a bellhop because right. that's his his greatest life ambition because people think he's a monster and he just wants to help people and there's um there's a little girl who's a gnome and mm-hmm. she gardens and i don't know i 
I liked this so much because of the growth of his character as a protagonist. Okay. That he found joy with these children that he has never allowed himself to do before as right. a caseworker. Right. Because he's there and he's on site and he is helping them see value in themselves. Right. And I do agree. You're right that a lot of it is smacking you over the head. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mind that mm-hmm. because it made – it's a happy message. Like mm. in a book that's meant to fill you with hope, I'm okay with the fact that they are reiterating that message over and over again for children that often don't have hope. Right. So – I'm I'm so grateful that we're talking about it because it made me sad. This book made me oh, so no. sad. Oh, and no. so I'm grateful for your <laughs> I won't say that you're going to convince me that it no. would, should make me happy, yeah, but I to. really value your perspective on it because one of the things that was most upsetting to me about it was the um Chauncey, the guy, the jellyfish yeah. blobby guy that yeah, you yeah, talked jelly, about. Jelly blobby. Who wants to be a bellhop? I found that whole thing really um, paternalistic and mm. awful, and, and it hurt me. Like, I felt like he was being – so here was my struggle. Mm. I think that the author meant it to be kind, mm. but to me it felt degrading to Chauncey. Mm. And okay. I can't really figure out why. I've been thinking a lot about it. Like, why would this make me sad? But it just seemed like – and I find – I think that there is dignity in all work. Absolutely. So it, it has nothing to do with the fact that it was a bellhop. Mm-hmm. It felt to me like Clune was saying, oh, wow, this is what you can aspire to. No, he can aspire to anything. And so – Huh. So I did do some research. Mm-hmm. I read it the first time. I did some research. And then I read it again this morning because <laughs> um, <laughs> you know how I do. And – When I read it the first time, I just enjoyed it as a book. Okay. And then when I read it the second time, um, I learned a little bit more about some of his process in writing this. Mm -hmm. And he was partially – he's an American author, Mm -hmm. um, and he writes poetry and other books that um, sometimes try and kind of highlight – uh, kind of the queer experience or right. queer romance and things like that. And this one, there's a little touch of that in there. There's right. a romance line between Linus and Arthur, but it's not the predominant. It's not significant. No, it's right. just like a like a kiss at the end. Yeah. Um, but what he started this from was the experience of Canadian indigenous children mm-hmm. who were removed from their homes and placed with white families to try and um, integrate them. Right. And so I, in my head, I imagine England in this, and I don't know why. So I think it's because we read so many British authors. Right. But it could be anywhere. Right. And so when I read this again, I was coming out at a viewpoint from he is – this author, Clune, tries really hard to support um, representative viewpoints. Yep. And, like, he's not a kid, and he's not a magical person as far as I'm aware of. <laughs> and I don't think he's indigenous. Um, I don't know. Maybe he is. And so when I saw that, I saw the progression for this little blobby guy. This is a kid, right? right I think he's right. nine or ten. Right. Well, they don't even know, they right? Don't have because because he's yeah. like a little blob guy. Right. He doesn't have any parents. He's been mistreated in other orphanages, and at the first places that he lived, he was told, "All you are is a monster. Right. You should sleep under people's beds right. because that's all that's expected of you." And he complied with that, right? right? Like that's if you tell a kid often enough that this is all that you are, how are they ever going to expand their mindset? Right. And so when he lands with Arthur on in this this new home, um, they're not telling him what he can be. He sees it in a movie. Right. So there is a family. They're watching a movie. And he thinks, oh, I want to help people. Right. I can do that. I'm good at lifting heavy things. I'm going to do that. 
But I also like if I spin the story out, if he someday comes back and says, that was really fun. Here's what I want to do next. Right. I think that that family would support him in whatever he wants to do. But I, I can totally see your point as well that because this book is a little bit difficult to pin down on who the audience is for if Mm -hmm. you didn't like read the classification at the start like this is for adults it just happens to have kids in it that you might read it and go like oh what's the what's the true message of what i'm trying to say here right yeah and now i will say that the um sal who is the Mm -hmm. big shy child and he Mm -hmm. morphs into a pomeranian puppy or dog when he gets upset that resonated more with me because i feel like i know people Mm -hmm. who as as teens were so adult, like they they had big bodies or bodies sure. that looked like they were fully mature, you yeah. know, 25 year olds. Yeah. And they were mistaken for being people expected much more of them. They yes. thought that their thought processes and their maturity was going to be at one level and they were still, you know, 15 years old. Yeah. And so life is hard on those folks. You know, they they have to grow up a lot faster than their peers who look their ages mm-hmm. and. So I, th- I felt like Sal spoke to me in that way. And perhaps I just wasn't able to um, see where he was going with all of the other ones. I don't well, know. I wish that this was the start of a series. Mm. Like I would love. Of course you do. I, you know you I want love like series. 20 or 30 of these books. I'll take as many as I'll write. <laughs> <clears throat> but truly, like this is the start of something. This is the start of a journey with these characters and these kids in particular. Like the story of Linus and Arthur, I would love for that to be a continuing thread mm-hmm. that – Family is who you make of it, right, and a home right. is the people that you're with. Right. But I would also love to know more about what's going to happen with these kids and who are they going to grow up to be. So the one that I connected with most strongly was Lucy, the the little kid who's the child. The devil? Of, the child of the devil. Oh, weird. You connected with the child <laughs> of the devil. You're, you're giving me. Your colleagues will be very surprised <laughs> to hear that about you. You're giving me very accusing eyes right now. <laughs> and the reason that it spoke to me was partially about the kid because the kid's funny oh he's very funny you know the first night that Linus gets to this island Lucy hides like conceals (laughs) that he's arriving and then like cloaks everything in darkness and comes in and is like I am the child of Satan maggots are going to infest you and then Arthur in the background is like I'm going to need you to turn the lights back on now or you're not getting pudding with dinner and Lucy's like oh no I'm six I want pudding right (laughs) Right. so it's it's and that's Although he has extraordinary powers, it's totally a kid thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm acting out. I'm doing dumb stuff. But well, I'm I, doing what you expect me to do because you've set the expectations yes, so low. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a an underlying – there's a, a tiny story thread in here. Um, because Lucy has such outsized capacities, um, he's m- more close with Arthur so mm-hmm. that he can be watched when he's, like, having nightmares and right. things like that. Right. And that this child who grew up – in a place that was really, really dark um, and nobody thought was going to be able to continue forward, that somebody believes in him. Yeah. And instead of letting uh, letting the starting place of where you begin your journey be the ending place, right. that they're trying to teach him that you are not the sum of where you began. Right. That right. you can change. You can be whoever you want. If you want to love music and be a musician, you can do that. And you can be the Antichrist, apparently. So um, that was super weird to me. I kept, remember in Howl's Moving Castle, how yeah. I kept expecting the spiders to factor in more <laughs> yes. because yeah. they just came in and I was like, wow, spiders. That's yes. pretty funny. Same here. Okay. <laughs> the music. Yeah. I love Bobby Darren. Yes. I loved uh, the Everly Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I love that they were woven into this. Yes. But I ended up scratching my head at the end like, they're 
it didn't fully connect for me. It just was the weird thread that That's didn't. That's book four. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. This is not a series, by the way, folks, unless T.J. Clune is listening and would love to write us more books for us to talk about. I promise that we will, and I will make Christine read them. Um, <laughs> no, there's this book was – so for me, a lot of this book was about hope, hmm. uh, and where for you, it was it was the opposite. Right. And, wow, we are different people, and <laughs> and that's part of the joy of books, right, right. is that it invokes different reactions, and, like, for me – I almost felt a sense of responsibility out of this book. Really? Yeah. So it's it's a fiction story. These are not actual children. This is just coming out of someone's mind. But it reminds me of what a communal impact that we have on mm. the children in our community. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And, like, I have a young child now, so yeah. it's, it's more forefront right. um, just for me right now. But we all have collective impact. And there's a scene where they go into the town and – it doesn't matter how kids look. Discrimination is real. Yep. And kids are kids. Yep. I mean, people are people and you shouldn't be mean just to be mean in general. Sure. But they're kids. Right. Like, right. let them grow up. Let them decide who they're going to be. Don't make preconceived determinations about a child just because you don't like how they look or the way that they're speaking or what I they're wearing. Whatever. Yeah. 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 And it does. Oh, wow. I'm going to get soapboxy. Are you ready? I think this is a perfect message for librarians. Like we <gasps> we don't have <clears throat> excuse me a whole lot of we may nev- never know the names of the kids that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um but the whole idea of opening them to whatever whatever they think they might be interested in and mm-hmm. showing them that they can really do anything and go in, in any direction and we can help them get there. Yep. Is a really fun message and so I wish that's what I thought of when this book. That's okay. When I read this book. The the same thing that we tell people who come into a library or if you go to a bookstore, if you buy things online, wherever you choose to consume your books is fine. Right. You can get them for free from the library. You should, right. probably, you should right. probably do that. You already pay for it with your taxes. <laughs> um, but whatever. And people can help you find them. We're very nice. Generally. <laughs> Generally, we're very nice. But no, the, the whole message is not every book is for every person, but right. there is a book out there for every person. Absolutely. And that's what we do. That's what literature and pleasure reading is for. Yeah. We've got millions of books out there. Right. Something will be the right fit. This wasn't the right one for you. Right. That's okay. Still makes my heart hurt. But and no, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Well, there was there was this one quote in here. So I actually, you know, we type up our notes. Yep. And my last bullet is why this book makes me happy. <laughs> Awesome. Yes. And the best part for me was um, there's a quote that says, we should always make time for the things that we like. Mm. If we don't, we might forget how to just be happy. Oh, that's lovely. Yes. So I like reading and I love this book and I was happy to read it again. Okay. So here's maybe where that was your favorite quote. This is the (laughs) quote that sort of embodied the thing for me. I don't want to end on this. I'm going to have another quote after. Idealism has no place in government work. (laughs) (laughs) And so my... Dumb little idealistic heart was like, no, that's exactly where the idealists go is to government because we can do so much. We have so much opportunity to help Mm-mm. and it's our responsibility. And so I, I that that was the slap to my face. I was so hurt by that. I apologize for that for you. Thank you. I cannot let that be the end. So instead, I will give you another quote. Yes. There is magic in the ordinary. That I agree with. Yes. A hundred percent. And I also want to say that I found it fascinating that you thought it had to do with England because I did too. And (laughs) Clune is an American author, so that's weird. And it never mentioned England. So I was like, why? And the reader, the narrator, 
is is um, American. So that was another kind of cognitive dissident thing <laughs> where I was like, I think this is said in England, but I'm hearing an American accent. So uh-huh. these don't map up for me. I was very confused. I don't know why I thought it was set there. I Agreed. don't think it is. Nope. There's nothing that says like, huzzah, merry old flag. I just, <laughs> I don't get it. And I wasn't like eating, I don't know, what's British food? Baked beans for breakfast. Fish and chips. No, I was definitely not eating that. Um, <laughs> If I had been eating a sticky toffee pudding while I was reading this, I would have liked it even more. Sure. Sure. (laughs) So tell me what horrible thing you're going to make me read next month after I give you this joy of a tome. Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, I do try to pick things that I think you're going to like sometimes. Mm. I sometimes have done that in the past. That's debatable. That's not this month. This month, I think you're going to be very sad to read the book that I want you to read. I did already get it from the library. So because I you didn't want to right. pay money for it. No, no. Library is my first choice. asking you to read The Road to Character by David Brooks. He is a New York Times columnist. Okay. But I know him from my devoted watching of the news hour. Oh, my God. I know you're going to have to listen to like 25 minutes of me telling all about how the news hour is the best thing in the world. I need to remind you that we are government employees and you're not paid to sponsor them. Oh, no, we are because – oh, I, I'll figure something out. They're tax pay, They're supported by the taxpayers. Fine, 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 fine. Um, Tell me about this book. So it is a book by David Brooks that he wrote to kind of center himself. Okay. Um, and it follows a number of people and their struggles to get to what he considers high character. Okay. And I think you are going to hate reading it, mm-hmm. but I think it's the kind of thing you like to discuss. Okay. So here's my prediction. Okay. Is that you're going to skim it Mm -hmm. so that there's enough that we can talk about, Mm -hmm. but you're not actually going to read it. I think that is a viable option for me, (laughs) particularly since I have been reading these the evening before and the morning of. Uh So this one wasn't too long. It was maybe 300 or so pages. I will give it a go. I want to have a good, like, meaty debate about this one. There are so many – it takes – it takes you through the lives of very interesting people, and I think some of what you will learn will surprise you, and yep. I think that is, you know, part of what we do when we read. I am ready for it. If this book is as bad for me as you think it is, we will be reading Lord of the Rings next. <laughs> so, because I am Duly definitely a, an eye for an eye kind of person. I, I know that about you. Um, <laughs> so, thank you for joining us <laughs> yes. on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always get these books and lots more at your local library, and you can ask for help finding them. Indeed. We are happy to help. Join us next month when we will be discussing The Road to Character by David Brooks. Thank you, and keep on reading. 